Brilliant. Cool. Let us pray. Father God, we just want to give you great thanks today to welcome the opportunity to come together and worship you and hear your voice. Father, I just pray for our hearts, our souls and our minds to be open to what you have to say to us. And pray for the Holy Spirit to be filling and teaching us and for us to grow in love with you more and more so that we are overflowing with love for you, for others and for our community. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, so today I thought we're going to just start with a quick pop quiz. So if we can have the next slide, if you can see these. Next one. Thanks. Can anyone tell me the significance of these five names? Got Ian Chapman, Sally Dickets, Matthew Gordon, Christine Middlemas, and Leslie Davies. A group? No. No. Any idea? Okay. <laughs> no. Um, well, the answer is that they were all recognised in this year's New Year's honour list. Honours list. You can't see that at all, can you? Yeah, yeah. yeah for, for various things. So, the New Year's Honours list recognises the achievements and services of extraordinary people across the UK. And this list is no short of its controversies, and in a church like this, we might have different opinions about it. But I find it absolutely fascinating. I love reading the bios of who has made it to the list and why. And among the, the handful of uh, amongst the handful of celebrities that get on it, there's a list of people who don't make the headlines. They're not necessarily known to the general public, as we can quite see, but they are serving and leading in different spheres. Services to education, the arts, social care, charity leaders, services to global fusion energy, and veterinary and farming sectors, and many more. But in their different ways, each is making a significant contribution, an essential contribution to society. The honours list is an opportunity to celebrate the unsung heroes. And today, for us, is an opportunity to celebrate what I consider an unsung gift, is the gift of administration. It's not glamorous, excited. <laughs> It typically receives little or no recognition. It tends to only be noticed when it's gone. And it's not actually often preached on. And it's perhaps rarely desired. I'm thinking of that moment where you've done the uh, gifting survey, don't tell Tony. Um, uh, you've done it online and you have the gift of administration and your face just falls because you're just that little bit disappointed. You're the opposite. Perhaps you're like, oh, breathing a sigh of relief that you actually have a gift that doesn't bear too much responsibility. I believe that the gift of administration is a really significant gift for us today. And it's one that deserves more recognition as we come together to love God, love one another, and love our community here in the East End. So I'm taking this moment over the next three hours to obviously explain that. Only only hopefully within half an hour, but there's a lot to get through, so I hope you're ready. 
So when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be informed. And likewise, I hope today, as we look at this gift of administration, together we leave with, I've got a little acronym for you, a better idea. So I is for importance. I hope we leave with an understanding of the importance of this gift. D, for us as a church, I hope we have a real desire to have this gift of administration. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So the gifts should all be sought after and desired. And that, that refers to all the gifts. For E, this is for those with the gift of administration. I really hope you leave encouraged to grow, practice and release this gift. And A, for those of you who don't have the gift of administration, I hope you really grow in appreciation. And as Matt was saying earlier, just that understanding of how it fits and works with our own giftings. So hopefully that covers everyone in the room, but if it doesn't, let me know at the end. <laughs> so just to recap, um, for those of you who have, perhaps you've joined today, perhaps you're new visiting THCC, or perhaps you've just been sitting here and you've kind of forgotten. We are currently going through this uh, series, exploring the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it has been great taking the time to go deeper and understand the different gifts God has given his church. So Simon was talking about wisdom, the gift of wisdom and, and um, words of knowledge. We heard Tony talking about mercy and healing. And last week, John talking about miracles. So if you've missed any of those, I really do encourage you to go and have a look online. But just a quick reminder of some of the key points about spiritual gifts in general. As parts of the body, we all have different gifts for specific roles. So in Romans it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. That's really key. All of us have gifts, right? And they are different. We don't have the same ones, but they work together as one. And then here are just a few um, points to reflect on and to remind ourselves of. Firstly, gifts are a gift of grace. They're not a gift of works. We receive them, not because we deserve them or we've earned them, but because God has chosen, out of love, to give them to us. That's really key. The second one I would say is, gifts are to be used for others, they're not just for ourselves. They are for the common good, building up of his church and beyond. And finally, the gifts are of equal value, all play some vital role. So even though I'm spending time focusing on the gift of administration today, I'm not saying that it's any more important or any less important than any other gift. They are all important and they are all needed. So I'm in the same large group as Matt, and we've absolutely loved the discussions about gifts. And I've also been having loads of conversations with people in the, in the church family as well. Um, and it's just really interesting to see where we are when we're thinking about gifts. Some of us don't know what our gifts are, and are in the process of discerning them and asking God to reveal them. It's interesting how many know the gifts of their spouse as well on that one. Um, anyway, and some of us are working out how we use our gifts more. And some of us are encouraging others in their gifts. So as Matt said, you know, it's really key that we are doing this together in community. And in actual fact, I would say it's a privilege. 
and thinking through how we are identifying, nurturing, growing, exercising and stewarding our gifts together. But what I've really loved in all of this is the way that it is so wonderful to see how they all point to God. It helps us to really worship him. You see, it points to a God who is a generous God, a provider God, who has given his church, he is a gift giver, he gives his church every possible gift they need to flourish. In Philippians it said, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And again, somewhere else in 2 Corinthians, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance of every good deed. He lavishes his gifts on us. And I think the incredible thing is, God gives us every single gift we could possibly need. There is not a time where he, he leaves us short. So in some ways, it is, it's kind of our role to play that to do the work of trying to work out and discern and find and unravel and unlock the giftings in our church, his church ultimately. It also points to me, um, to the creative God, the God that is the master of curation, the way he distributes all his gifts into each of, these, each of his people, right? There's a beauty in the way that he knits his church together and just how those gifts work together. Not all of them are working at the same time. You know, it might be at different times, certain gifts are working better together than others. And I just think there's an absolute beauty and just the precision of thought and care and craft that is taken in that. And also I look at it and think, what an awesome God and worthy of our praise. The gifts express his character. He gives us gifts that reflect the multiple dimensions of who he is. And I don't know about you, but we can often, I do this myself, focus on particular characteristics of God. You know, perhaps we think of God um, as a compassionate God, and we focus on him and his compassion. But when we see his gifts expressed in the people of God, who reflect his character, we get to appreciate afresh, like a diamond, the multifaceted parts of his character, including those we don't naturally appreciate. Because I guess my theory here is that, you know, we tend to see the bit in God that we most either want or have or identify with. So we don't, so we can see, you know, through the giftings, he's not only a compassionate, merciful God. You know, he is an all-knowing God. He's a wise God. He's a powerful God full of miracles. We see all of those different giftings and see him through it. So let's dive into the gift of administration. The gift is mentioned in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and it's literally one word, but the word is different in different translations. So I'm just going to read this. Um, probably not the King James, but can we go back one first? Because <laughs> uh, it actually has the word, oopsie. Uh, no, back. Okay, don't. Um, so anyway, there's a lot of few examples here, but it's different words. It's administration, guidance, governments, and administrating. And the word that, that is in the Greek is kubernesis, and the meaning of it is steering, government, and administration. So too often when we have this perception of administration, we think quite clerically. We think filing, um, maybe Excel spreadsheets or something. But the word administration here is more akin to when we use it to describe 
like how the US government describes it, the Biden-Harris administration, the Trump administration, the Obama administration. Now the word kubernetes is a nautical word and it, that may be translated into helmsman or navigator. So in Bible times, you'd have a merchant who wishes to take his cargo from one place to another, and they would hire a vessel and a navigator or pilot. And this navigator would understand the route to the port, the tides, the currents, and on board, whilst they were on board, they would have full authority over the crew and its different roles. And they would steer the ship safely to the dock. So the merchant may be the one who sets up the destination, but the Cubanasis would take control in order to reach the destination with safety and speed, directing the crew and steering the vessel appropriately. So the gift of administration here is really a gift of steering towards a vision. It's a gift of leadership. It's a gift of government. So like an orchestra conductor leads musicians to play beautifully together, those with the gift of administration leads God's people to create beautiful things together. Delegating well, helping people to know and play their roles and working in harmony. Like an architect is needed to design and build a building. Those with the gift of administration plan the work of God's people for the health and growth of the church. There is planning, prioritising and governing. This gift emphasises the need to bring order because without the gift, there is chaos. And God is a God of order. He brings order out of chaos. From the very beginning in creation, in Genesis, we see God creates something out of nothing. And in 1 Corinthians it says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This gift points to a God who is a leader. He delegates to his people and he steers them, directing their steps and directing their paths. Do we see where there is a need for order? And I'm not talking perfectionism or rigid, inflexible systems, but order. God loves order. And if we want to be more like him, we should love order too. And why? Well, because the way of chaos does not lead to peace. And surely as God's people, we want to see peace. So it probably won't surprise many of you, as I come from a Chinese background, but I grew up in a family with very strict routines. We had set bedtimes, set homework times, set meal times. There was an order to our lives, from the way we packed our bags the night before school, keeping tiny, clean rooms where everything had its place, and a regular plan for the week. And I know that's not the case for everyone, but that was my upbringing. After leaving home for uni, I did my very, very best to break every single one of these routines. <laughs> I valued spontaneity and just go with the flow and, yeah, you know, staying up all sorts of hours. Um, and, yeah, just everything about routine in my life was just, I was free of routine. But it's funny, isn't it, how later on, and as a parent myself, I'm desperate to bring back these routines and order in my life. Early set bedtimes, I'd love to be in bed by half seven every night, that'd be amazing. As long as the children are in bed beforehand, then that'd be great. A tidy home where I'm not constantly losing things all the time. And it has even resulted to, don't laugh, but a weekly plan. 
how Ian and I try and keep our, how we're trying to steer our family and to order out the chaos. Um, now, to, to different degrees, I mean, we had a group there, I know there wasn't many, but um, this will appeal to different people, different personalities. But I want you to hear me right. I'm not saying we need a perfectionist approach or a military-like lifestyle. I'm not even saying that we need to have our homes completely decluttered and minimalist clean. My husband was so super excited to tell me that even Marie Kondo, the master of decluttering, has given up tidying after having three kids. <laughs> but what I am saying is I've come to appreciate that there is something about structure and order that brings freedom. And it's vital for healthy living and it brings the time and space for what to me is really important, the relationships we nurture and the people we love. So one thing I've also realized is with any spiritual gift, I've found that those who have it see the world slightly differently through their gifting. So those of you here with the gift of mercy, and I think we've got a lot of those people in this church, uh, you will be more attuned to those who are in need of mercy. You've got that supernatural ability to spot people and are drawn to situations where mercy is required. And likewise, those with the gift of administration will have a supernatural ability to see where and how order and a way towards vision can be brought to the body of Christ for the common good. So we're not just talking about noticing the laundry that needs folding or the box in the corridor that sits there waiting to be put away. But what we're saying here is, is the ability to see the structures, systems and procedures that need to be in place to make things happen for health and thriving. And I think realising we have a certain way of seeing the world can often help us to discern where we have our gifts. So anyway, I want to look at five guys. So, yeah, I, I was, not the, not the burgers, not the burgers, no, I was probably thinking about that while I was writing this. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, five guys in the Bible. So, are you ready? How are we going? How are we doing with time? Okay, five guys, in, guys in, five, guys in, five guys in the Bible who demonstrate the gift of administration. So the Bible tells the big picture story of the relationship between God and God's people. So it goes all the way from creation, when God created the world out of nothing, day, night, land, sea, creatures of all kinds of mankind, followed by mankind's selfish rejection and rebellion against God, to God's amazing rescue plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and looking forward to new creation. Oh, amazing. When all things will be made new, all wrongs will be put right. No more tears, no more death, no more suffering. And through history, we see how God's people lived. And it's an incredible library of experiences and lives to varying degrees lived in relationship with God. And there's so much we can learn from, the good and the bad. And because the Bible is inspired, meaning that God reveals himself through the words, every time we read it, we can find fresh insights. We can learn new things that help us to get to know God better and live righteous lives in relationship with him. So... I understand some of you here know your Bibles really well, and these accounts will be super familiar to you. And for those of you who aren't as familiar, have never read the Bible in your life, I'll summarise some stories. But I'll encourage you to read the parts of the Bible for yourself at your own pace. 
But for every single one of us, as we look at them, we will specifically focus on the categories to help us to understand the gifts of administration better. So I've kind of come up with a little, um, we're going to ask ourselves a few questions each way. Um, and so what we're going to do, we're going to look at the context, the context of the story. What is happening in the wider world of the lives of the pe person that we're looking at? The vision that we're steering towards, or they were steering towards. So if the gift of, of administration is one that looks to steer towards the vision, what was the vision they were steering towards? We're going to have a look at what the gift would look like in practice. And we talked about the fact that these gifts aren't used in isolation, so what were the other gifts that were used for? And I think I want us to also reflect, what would it look like if the gift of administration did not exist? Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So let's go. Joseph. Now some of you might know him from the musical, Joseph Mason Technical Dreamcoat. But anyway, his life was pretty dramatic. You can find it in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, um, and it was a scripture that was read out earlier. So I would say his life basically beats any TV drama series plotline. Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers. He's abused by his siblings as a child to the point of being beaten and sold into slavery in Egypt. And whilst there, he spends time in prison for being falsely accused of seducing his boss's wife. That was her who was trying on with him. And through his supernatural skill to interpret dreams, he finds himself elevated to one of the highest positions in the administration of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Joseph accurately predicts seven years of abundant harvest followed by seven years of famine, which is what we read. And he's given responsibility to oversee the whole of Egypt and organise the food that would see not only Egypt, but pretty much the world beyond that survive the famine. So the context here we're looking at is really famine. Um, and it's a time where there's literally no food. So, doing this um, sermon, I felt, you know, the pressure to bring some sort of order to this talk. So, here's a little table for you, and for those that love tables. But anyway, so, the context is famine, and the vision. God uses Joseph, he gives him many gifts, including the gift of administration, to steer people through the famine's survival. So, it's really the saving of lives. So, despite being abused by his brothers, being sold into slavery, imprisonment, and being far from home, God used him and it led to the biggest family reconciliation where Joseph forgives his brothers. And you've got that famous verse in Genesis 50 towards the end. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God had a clear vision for Joseph to steer people to. And many lives were saved. And what does this gift of administration look like in practice? Well, when we see it, it, you know, the, the Bible account talks about Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, Joseph opened all the storehouses, Joseph did this. But you can only imagine that Joseph didn't do this single-handedly, right? <laughs> the logistics to store and distribute grain will have involved all manner of leadership, delegation, teamwork. I imagine it would involve motivation and encouragement. I mean, convincing people to store grain when things look so plentiful and organisation and planning. And we know that other gifts we use, his interpretation of dreams, mercy, the compassion he had, and helps. But what would it look like if it didn't exist? The entire nation would have starved and died. They'd be eating during the years of abundance and find themselves without food and famine, maybe even beyond Egypt. And possibly the reconciliation of Joseph's family would have come. 
Ultimately, God is glorified when Joseph uses his gift, because none of it would be possible without him. And this is a real precursor to the story of salvation. It points people to Jesus, the one who did save many lives through his death and resurrection on the cross. And that beautiful picture of reconciliation with family. So next one, Moses, found in the second book of the Bible. So if you're reading your Bible in the year, this is probably where you're about right now. Um, Moses is a descendant of Joseph some 300 years later. He's seen as one of the key leaders in history and he was born at a time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. So Moses led God's people out of slavery and to the promised land. And it's another incredible story. You know, born into a humble family, floated down a river as a way to save him from death as a baby, found by the kings of Egypt's daughter and adopted into the royal home. He fled to the wilderness after killing an Egyptian. He then has an encounter with God in a burning bush, returns to Egypt with a message of liberation for the Israelite slaves and confronts Pharaoh, and is given the power through some miraculous plagues that eventually lead to Pharaoh freeing the Israelites. Moses leads God's people to the promised land, but it's not without its ups and downs, right? If you remember the miracle of the parting sea and then the moaning, grumbling Israelites and being taken out of slavery, God giving Moses the Ten Commandments and then seeing his people worshipping a golden calf, and the building of the tabernacle, the mobile temple of worship to God. And years and years and years in the wilderness. So the vision's always that, steering towards the promised land. And what does a gift look like for Moses? Well, through his life, there are lots of different examples. After the Exodus, Jethro, his father-in-law, advised Moses to organise the people into groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and appoint leaders over the groups to judge each one. And this was so that Moses could lead sustainably. And he assigned leaders to positions of leadership. He was delegating others according to their abilities. And one of my favourites is the beauty, uh, beautiful example of the building of the tabernacle. Some amazing administrative leadership skills in play. And as we see these examples, I think it's important to see, Moses spent a significant amount of time communicating and being in, in, in relationship with God. He had God's commands and vision, and he heard that from God and, and, and um, relayed it to the people. He developed effective procedures and ways of steering God's people because, in effect, it was God's wisdom and his leadership. And the gifting came directly from God. So through this, he built a nation from the ground up. It's a lesson for those of us here with the gift of administration. How are we spending time with God? How are we listening to God for our leadership and plans? So other gifts that are used. Moses, though credited a lot in the Bible, does not work alone. From the very beginning, he works alongside his brother Aaron um, with his speaking gift and priestly gifting. And for the building of the tabernacle, the gifted Bezalel, you know, the one that says um, in Exodus 31, it says, I filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stone, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. So gifted, so gifted. But what would it look like if, it, if, if Moses didn't exercise his gift? And in Exodus 4, there's this really, um, well, I, I actually warmed to this because it was, to me it was quite a human response. You know, when Moses says, um, you know, God has basically said, 
go to, back to Israel, confront Pharaoh and free God's people. And most of the response is like, ah, don't send me. Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to yourself. I am slow of speech and time. I can't do it. And he says, please send someone else. Now, can you imagine if Moses sent someone else? <laughs> or just didn't, or just hid. Just, you know, hid in the corner and didn't, didn't exercise these gifts. God's people would still be in slavery. They'll be possibly wandering the desert still. They would never reach the promised land. Again, it's a story of salvation. God delivering his people from slavery to a land flowing with milk and honey. God is glorified yet again as Moses uses his gift of administration. And at the end of Moses' life in Deuteronomy, there's this one verse and it says, For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Would have been an incredible loss, right? So, we're almost there. Number three, Daniel, 600 years on. So the people of Judah, tribe of Israel, had been attacked by the Babylonians. They plundered the city and destroyed the temple and took to the people of Israel into exile. And among them, you might not remember, is Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the book of Daniel paints a portrait of how to live and serve God faithfully in a world that doesn't. I wonder how many of that sounds to us. Um, how do we live with hope when there are no immediate solutions? Daniel was a young, gifted man recruited to serve in the royal palace in Babylon. And um, him and his friends were really pressured to give up their Jewish identity and faith. But they remain faithful and God delivers them and they end up being elevated to positions of influence and power within the Babylonian Empire. So despite living in a foreign land, in exile, Daniel's gifts are recognised to those that come into contact with him. And it says, you know, Daniel says, Surely your God, this is the king saying to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. And the king placed Daniel in a high position in, in his administration and la lavish gifts on him. He made him rule over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. So Daniel's gift of administration, I'd say, is focused on the steering and navigating through life in a hostile culture. The vision, in a way, is to remain a faithful presence. How do the people of God live out Jeremiah's prophecy to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I encourage you in exile? And what does this look like in Daniel? Well, it looks like distinctive, it's an example of distinctive living. As he speaks truth to, the power, truth to power, he's ruling over Babylon, and giving us instructions and authority. And we see that that gift is also not used in isolation, it's used with wisdom, with words of knowledge and interpretation. Because God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning to Daniel and his friends. And if Daniel and his friends weren't living distinctly, they weren't living a set apart holy people, their lives and the way they use their gifts wouldn't point people to God. In, um, in Daniel 4, it's, it talks about King Nebuchadnezzar and just the way that even though he's not a believer, even though he does not know God, through the lives of Daniel and his friends, he understands who God is. 
It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs, he says, and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Doesn't last for long, but you know, this is something that King Nebuchadnezzar says. And it makes it clear that the true God is a supreme ruler over heaven and earth, even when it all seems lost and the consequences of sin are overwhelming. So now we come to Nehemiah. So following exile, the return of God's people to re rebuild Jerusalem. The context is post-war and destruction. And Nehemiah is an Israelite official serving in the Persian government. He hears about the ruined state of Jerusalem's walls and prays and gets permission from the king to return to the city to rebuild the walls. So we've got this vision of rebuilding here. And it's an incredible story of teamwork. The coordination of all these different groups and resources. Imagine the motivation and the steering involved there to see what this one unified project, massive project, come to play. And the account is incredible, with different families taking on different parts of the wall. But Nehemiah, through this, also faced opposition. And he overcame this by posting the armed guards around the wall. Nehemiah is able to see the overall picture and vision and the long-term goal. So the other gifts that could be used, you can see there's practical, practical building and prayer. Um, he's a prayerful guy again. Um, and without it, without this gift, the walls would not be built. Now that to us might be like, oh, the walls are, walls are built, what does that mean? But actually, at the time, it was an important political symbol of the establishment of the Jews as a people, as one. And again, it points to, the to God and brings him glory. So finally, we come to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of us here think of Jesus as an administrator? Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are so worthy of praise. You are your mighty administrator. Um, he has many gifts, and we often talk about his gifts of wisdom, his preaching, his teaching, his mercy. But, but I don't think we really think about him as an administrator. And we've got this example in the story of the sending of the twelve and Mark. You can find it in Mark's chapter 6. Um, and the context of this story, actually, is just before he sends them out, he's actually just been back to his hometown, Nazareth, and he was preaching there, and the people actually rejected him. They actually took offence at what he was preaching. So Jesus doesn't perform miracles there, and he only heals a few people. But what this is, it's a visible lesson to, to his disciples, who he later sent out, to kind of, come watch me, like, be rejected, now you go, <laughs> great. Um, and, you know, there, it was a lesson, isn't it? Because at, there will be times when you will be rejected. And the vision of Jesus, in Luke it says, it was to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim in the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus takes this step to steer his people. He takes a step to multiply the ministry that he has been doing through the disciples. He steers them to the vision of preaching the good news to the poor. He gives orders and precise instructions. You know, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. He even tells them what to wear and, you know, tells them what to do whenever they enter a house and they're rejected, right? Um, he gives them precise instructions. But he's also modelled it to them. And now he's sending them to go out without him. 
And we, we know in this, in this account it says that, you know, other gifts that were used, healing and preaching. So what would it look like if it wasn't? Well, the gospel would not be preached and they would not be sent out in that way. And the villages where the disciples went would probably still be in darkness. And again, God would not be glorified. So that's my five guys. You with me? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Um, what, what does it mean for us today? Why does it even matter? What is our context? Famine, wilderness, war and destruction, exile and rejection. I would say actually that these are just as applicable today. We have this not just on a global scale, but also on a local and even a personal one. The context which we are living in is chaotic. I don't know if you're experiencing it, but I'm definitely feeling it. But we're experiencing this here, here in Tower Hamlets even, to, to more or lesser degrees, right? We're experiencing the effects of famine, the cost of living crisis, energy scarcity, climate change, wilderness, Loneliness crisis, broken relationships, increasing social disconnection, mental health crisis, war and destruction. Well, according to the Geneva Academy, there are currently 110 armed conflicts in the world today. We're not just saying, thinking about the war in Ukraine and Europe, but there are many others in the Middle East, Africa, Asia. And the effects of this are nations of destruction, nations left with many displaced people fleeing their countries. And we're seeing this with the ongoing refugee crisis. And some of us might actually be here as a result of conflicts in our home country. Exile. In many ways, we still are a people in exile. Whether that be physically from our home countries or spiritually in a land which does not acknowledge God. Rejection. Many of us have experienced rejection in different ways. Many of us have experienced rejection because we follow Jesus, whether that be within our family, our friends, colleagues, or our community. We are living in a time of great anxiety. Mark says he's a pastor of a church in Australia, and he wrote a book called A Non-Anxious Present that says this. You are not created to remain paralyzed in anxiety. You were not created to offer an anxious crowd quick fix solutions and a panacea for their lostness. You were not patterned after heaven to retreat into a comfort zone. You were made in the image of God to bring chaos into order as you act as a channel of God's will on earth. The Spirit manifests the pattern of heaven in the world and we mediate that pattern as God's workers in creation. So the vision for us today is as it has always been, is to be a channel of God's will on earth. That intersection when heaven meets earth. The vision is to see the kingdom come, to see people getting to know who Jesus is and accepting him as their Lord and Saviour. To be living in relationship with the Almighty God, not distant or disconnected, but in communion with Him and with themselves and with each other. The vision is to be a people of hope, a people of peace, 
and a people of love in an anxious world. And to do this, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need, can't do it as ourselves. We need supernatural gifting that can help us to steer and navigate through this time. We need people with the gift of administration. We need gifted leaders who can help bring order out of chaos to see spiritual growth in the chaos of the world we live in. We need men and women who, are given, who have been given this God-given ability to understand how to make things happen, how to plan, how to execute, how to steer God's people with precision, in the details, in the bigger picture, on the right course, towards a godly vision. And we need this gift to be used in partnership with the other gifts. The prophetic, wisdom, knowledge, encouragement, teaching, serving, giving, mercy, the whole bang. Because administration alone cannot fulfill the will of God. So let us desire this gift for our church. Let us encourage those with this gift. And let us see it used together with all the other gifts so that many who are lost can encounter the presence of God and be saved. So that we as a church can grow in spiritual maturity, in unity, and in love. And so that ultimately, the God, the most awesome God, can be glorified. So I just want us to take a moment, just a seat in silence, to think about our current context. And then I want us to think of um, names. I want us to think of people we know with the gift of administration. What in our church, in our life groups perhaps. And if you are feeling a prompting that you actually do have a gift of administration, I'd love to pray for you as well. So as I invite the worship band up, let us pray. Father God, we just want to give you great thanks. In a world which is so full of chaos and uncertainty, anxiety and fear, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are present with us always. We thank you that you actually use us as your people. You gift us. You are the, the giver of gifts, Lord. And Father, for each of those names, each of those people in this in this congregation who are just with, sitting there with the gift of administration that you have given them. Father, I just pray that you would be stirring them, that you would be showing them, you would be revealing them how you want your gift to be exercised and used in, in this church, how you want it to be used in, as part of your body in Christ here at THCC. And Father, I do want to bless you. You know the names of all those people that people we are thinking about. And I want to lift them up to you. I want to pray a blessing of encouragement for them. And Father, where we might be perhaps sitting back and, uh, um, yeah, and just not as willing. Maybe we are scared. Maybe, we are, maybe there are things that are blocking us. Father, I just pray that you would show us your ways. Because your ways are always good, Lord. So help us to... Love, our, love your ways over our ways. Help us to desire what you desire over what we desire. And help us through this to glorify you ultimately, the one that is so worthy, so, so, so worthy of our presence. 
In Jesus' name. Amen.